G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. I'm Tracy Weir. As the year draws to a close, the Vision News team is taking a look back at some of the events that made headlines. With many issues still unfolding, our hope is to give you a glimpse of what was and to encourage you to focus on the one who holds the world in his hands as we move toward 2023. On February 24, Russia invaded Ukraine. Vladimir Putin announced his country would conduct what he called a special military operation in the Donbass region. Russia bombarded Ukraine with artillery, air fire, rockets and missile strikes. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky was suddenly thrust upon the world stage. The former actor and comedian, now an unlikely wartime leader. What do we hear today? It's not just rocket explosions fighting the roar of aircraft. It is the sound of a new iron curtain lowering and closing Russia away from the civilised world. President Zelensky implored world leaders to assist his country and they responded by placing sanctions on Russia. The humanitarian impact was immense. In the weeks following, women and children fled Ukraine with Hungary, Poland and Romania welcoming hundreds and thousands of refugees. Evangelist Franklin Graham's humanitarian ministry, Samaritan's Purse, set up a 58-bed field hospital in the Ukrainian city of Lviv. World Vision was on the ground near the Ukrainian border and the Slavic Gospel Association also ramped up support, sending 60 pallets of aid to Ukraine on a weekly basis. To date, the US has provided around $54 billion in aid to Ukraine. Australia has committed around $540 million. In the months following the incursion, Sweden and Finland both applied to join NATO. In September, Vladimir Putin declared a further mobilisation of troops. I stress it is partial mobilisation. Only those who are currently in reserve will be conscripted and also those who served in the army have certain military um, professions. Thus far, the Ukrainians have defended their country, preventing a full-scale Russian takeover. Back home, and there was a sharp focus on political issues throughout 2022. Signs that the cost of living had spiked really started to show in the first few months of the year. Grocery, hospitality, housing, construction and freight costs, along with airfares, all increased. Petrol prices skyrocketed to a 14-year high due to a global oil supply crunch, and the then-Morrison government reduced the fuel excise to alleviate costs for motorists. Inflation surged to 5.1% in the March quarter. Supply chain issues were compounded by flow-on effects from global pandemic measures and the effects of the Ukraine war. Scott Morrison called an election for May 21. At the forefront of the election issues was the cost of living and national security. In a bid to curb inflation, the RBA increased interest rates in May for the first time since 2010 and has increased rates each consecutive month since. In the lead-up to the federal election, the Australian Christian lobby urged believers to do their own research and vote for individual candidates with good convictions and values, rather than just voting by political party. A win for Labor on election night was unsurprising. Winning a fourth term was always going to be a mammoth task for the coalition. What was surprising, however, was the amount of seats picked up by the Greens and the so-called Teal Independents. 
In the most high-profile upset of the election, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg lost his seat of Kuyong to Teal Independent Dr Monique Ryan. There was also talk of a green slide in Queensland, a result that few saw coming with a massive swing against the two major parties. The Greens claimed three seats in Brisbane alone, bringing their total number of federal MPs to four and senators to 12. Gains made by the Greens saw One Nation Senator Pauline Hanson only just scrape through in Queensland, while Liberal Senator Amanda Stoker was ousted. Anthony Albanese was immediately sworn in as the new Prime Minister, becoming Australia's 31st leader. I, Anthony Norman Albanese, do solemnly and sincerely affirm and declare that I will well and truly serve the Commonwealth of Australia, her land and her people in the office of Prime Minister. The coalition was forced to regroup following the election loss. Scott Morrison stepped down as the Liberal leader, replaced by Peter Dutton with Susan Lee, his deputy, while the National Party elected new leader David Littleproud to replace Barnaby Joyce. Anthony Albanese hit the ground running with a number of overseas trips to Tokyo, Indonesia, Spain and France. On his return home, he visited the Ukraine to meet with President Vladimir Zelensky. Mr Albanese then made the trip to Fiji for the Pacific Islands Forum, where he met with Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare and raised concerns about a security pact with China. Australia and our allies were concerned by the move, with thoughts the pact could undermine stability in the region as China continued to assert itself in the Pacific. Energy became one of the first real challenges of the newly elected ALP government. At the beginning of winter, supply concerns became an issue along the east coast of Australia due to a combination of surging coal and gas prices and a number of inactive coal-fired power plants. Australia's energy market operator, AEMO, took control of the electricity market for the first time to secure power supply and avoid blackouts. The Labor government said more coal-fired power was not the answer to the nation's energy woes. However, the coalition argued the nation's economy would be at risk unless there was more done to secure reliable energy sources. Opposition leader Peter Dutton argued the government was moving away from coal too quickly. National Senator Matt Canavan said, as a first world country, Australia's energy supply should not be under pressure. We're the world's largest coal exporter, the largest exporter of liquefied natural gas, We've got the largest uranium reserves. We help the world provide itself with the energy and electricity, but we can't do it here for our own self because we're not investing in coal or gas. In August, Parliament passed Labor's Climate Bill, which enshrined Australia's 43% emissions reduction target into law. The government aims to achieve its target through aggressive investment in renewable energy projects. In November, new Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers delivered his first budget – The budget predicted electricity prices to increase by 50% over the next two years, driven by global events, gas shortages and the high cost of transitioning to renewable energy. Treasurer Jim Chalmers says electricity prices are playing havoc with the cost of living. The budget I put out today uh, was as blunt and as frank as we could be that we are expecting over the course of this year and next some substantial electricity price increases and I think Australians know that, I think they're bracing for that. It became increasingly unlikely that Labor would be able to fulfil a key election promise of reducing power bills by $275 from 2025. Also in November, Victoria re-elected the Labor government for a third term, putting Daniel Andrews on track to become the state's longest-serving Premier. And while living cost increased steadily this year, people impacted by significant weather events had further challenges.
La Nina wreaked havoc on the east coast of Australia throughout 2022. Tony Davenport has details. In February, northern New South Wales was inundated by intense rainfall, with the worst flooding in decades occurring in Lismore. Residents were forced to evacuate after the levee broke. Water levels reached the tops of houses, with some residents needing to be rescued from their roofs. New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet said many communities could not have gotten through the disaster without volunteers. To have 2,500 volunteers in the last week alone being there on the front line looking after people day in, day out uh, is such a wonderful thing about our country and that we should all be very proud about. There is no country in the world that has what we have. Other parts of the country were also impacted by flooding throughout the year, including Brisbane, Melbourne, Northern Victoria and the central west of New South Wales. The Weather Bureau has forecast La Nina to ease early next year. 2022 saw opposition toward Christian values intensify, both domestically and globally. Here's Naomi Millen. In February, the federal coalition shelved its religious discrimination bill, partly because it didn't have the numbers to pass its preferred version and also because Christian groups wanted it scrapped. The Australian Christian lobby said the bill had been completely undermined by proposed changes to the Sex Discrimination Act. An amendment to the Act would have weakened protections for Christian schools to teach according to their faith values, ultimately causing more harm than good. Woke ideology permeated the political and societal landscape with even standard biological definitions under threat. In April, during a Senate estimates hearing, Australia's Chief Health Officer was asked by Liberal Senator Alex Antic to provide a definition of what a woman is. Dr Brendan Murphy was unable to answer and chose to take the question on notice. Three months later, the Health Department offered a convoluted 78-word definition which included the gender with which a person identifies. Overseas, Florida's House of Representatives passed a bill banning classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten to grade three and also giving parents the ability to sue schools which violate the law. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis said injecting concepts about choosing your gender is inappropriate for Florida schools. President Joe Biden labelled the bill hateful and Disney also denounced the bill with some staff freely admitting to packing LGBT themes into their programming. In response, conservative US media company The Daily Wire said they would invest $100 million in children's media content in a bid to end Disney's dominance saying Americans are tired of supporting woke entertainment giants wanting to indoctrinate children with radical gender theory. In June, the US Supreme Court made the historic decision to overrule Roe v Wade, returning authority over abortion legislation to individual states. The court's opinion, written by Justice Samuel Alito, said the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. It went on to say Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. While the announcement sparked protests and firebombings from pro-abortion activists, there was much rejoicing among the pro-life community. Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, Martin Isles, said the decision gives him great hope for the pro-life community here. 
I have seen unbelievable growth in that movement and I have seen far more political pushback against new abortion laws in places like South Australia than we used to see. So there are changes here and I think this is the pro-life generation in Australia. I don't just say that as a marketing slogan, I think things are changing. Once the US Supreme Court ruling was handed down, 13 US states immediately enacted trigger laws, automatically restricting access to abortion. On the flip side, President Joe Biden signed an executive order to try to secure expanded access to abortion, guaranteeing travel across state lines for women wanting to access abortion clinics. California's Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom signed off on 13 new abortion bills in a campaign to make California a national abortion hub. Pro-life advocates condemned the move as horrendous because it makes provisions for all abortions up to the moment of birth. During the US midterm elections, California, Michigan and Vermont voters also approved the right to abortion being enshrined in their state constitutions. Back home, New South Wales became the last state in Australia to legalise voluntary assisted dying. The Catholic Church stated that some amendments which were rejected could have made the bill safer. In October, Christian values came under attack again when Andrew Thorburn was forced to choose between his new role as CEO of the Essendon Football Club and his role on a church board. The church had published two sermons online expressing traditional Christian views on homosexuality and abortion. Following intense media scrutiny, Mr Thorburn put his faith first and resigned from the Bombers' CEO role just a day after having been appointed. In a statement, Mr Thorburn said it is troubling that faith and the association with a church, mosque, synagogue or temple could render a person immediately unsuited to holding a particular role. Following his resignation, a number of high-profile faith leaders spoke out in support of Mr Thorburn, including Wendy Francis from the ACL, Catholic Melbourne Archbishop Peter Comensoli and Anglican Melbourne Archbishop Dr Philip Freer, who said he believed Mr Thorburn's human rights had been infringed. What we've seen in this Essendon saga couldn't happen in a government department. It couldn't happen in a local council. It couldn't happen in an organisation contracting the government. You couldn't go through, presumably, a fair and open and rigorous selection process and then having appointed someone, uh, you sort of pull a gun and say, well, you know, sorry, you've got to pick between this and that. that. That would be totally unacceptable. Baptist Reverend Tim Costello said the incident highlighted the need for a Bill of Rights. In September, the man known to Christians around the world as Brother Andrew died at the age of 94. He was famous for smuggling millions of Bibles into Soviet bloc communist countries in his Volkswagen Beetle. The Dutchman, whose real name was Andrew Vanderbeel, also founded the Open Doors Ministry. The ministry remembered him as an adventurer who courageously put his life on the line to take Bibles behind the Iron Curtain at the height of the Cold War. Other notable deaths in 2022 include actors Sidney Poitier and Angela Lansbury, Australian singers Archie Roach, Judith Durham and Olivia Newton-John, former Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev and Australian Labor Senator Kimberly Kitching. Mid-year, all eyes were on the UK as a number of historic events took place. In June, the UK celebrated Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee, marking Her Majesty's 70 years on the throne. Royal fans gathered at the Mall to watch the Trooping of the Colour Ceremony, which saw fighter jets fly over Buckingham Palace in honour of the Queen, who watched on from the balcony alongside working members of the royal family. A service of thanksgiving was held at St Paul's Cathedral. The following evening, a Platinum Party at the Palace concert was held, which featured a short film of the Queen having tea with Paddington Bear. 
The four days of events reached its pinnacle with Her Majesty making an unexpected appearance on the balcony of Buckingham Palace where she was greeted by raucous applause from the crowds who'd gathered to pay tribute. In July, Boris Johnson resigned as the UK Prime Minister after losing the support of his Cabinet due to a string of controversies. In his final words in the House of Commons, Boris Johnson delivered this peculiar sign-off. I want to thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I want to thank all the wonderful staff of the House of Commons. I want to thank all my friends and colleagues. I want to thank my rival friend uh, opposite, Mr Speaker. Uh, I want to thank everybody here and hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. Two months later, Liz Truss was sworn in as Prime Minister by Queen Elizabeth in one of Her Majesty's last official acts before her passing. On September 8, Britain's longest reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, died at the age of 96. Her Majesty died peacefully at her Balmoral home with her son Charles and her daughter Anne by her side. The outpouring of grief for the Queen's passing was immense. As the reigning monarch, she also served as the Supreme Governor of the Church of England – The Archbishop of Canterbury described her as a faithful Christian disciple who lived out her faith every day of her life. Queen Elizabeth's faith was always central to her life, with Her Majesty often speaking publicly about how she found comfort in Christ. I hope that like me you will be comforted by the example of Jesus of Nazareth. He makes it clear that genuine human happiness and satisfaction lie more in serving than in being served. We can surely be grateful that 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus, so many of us are able to draw inspiration from his life and message and to find in him a source of strength and courage. Queen Elizabeth's funeral was held on the 19th of September with all of the pomp and ceremony expected of a royal monarch. Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby gave the sermon in which he said the Queen modelled her service on Christ's example. Christian hope means certain expectation of something not yet seen. Christ rose from the dead and offers life to all, abundant life now and life with God in eternity. Her Majesty was laid to rest at Windsor Castle alongside her parents and her husband, Prince Philip. In October, following weeks of economic disruption, Liz Truss stepped down as British Prime Minister, becoming the shortest-serving PM in UK history. After some political manoeuvring, former Chancellor and practising Hindu Rishi Sunak was elected by the Conservative Party to fill the leadership role, becoming the youngest Prime Minister in hundreds of years. Mr Sunak said he has a clear agenda ahead. The United Kingdom is a great country, but there is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity and I will make it my utmost priority to bring our party and our country together. Rishi Sunak was officially sworn in by King Charles III. A number of other global events took place in 2022. Elmo Johnston has more. In July, former Japanese President Shinzo Abe was assassinated while addressing a campaign rally. 
In September, Italy elected its first female Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, who describes herself as a Christian, a mother and an Italian. She made headlines following her victory as a 2019 speech to the World Congress of Families recirculated on social media in which Ms Maloney passionately said, we will defend the value of the human being because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. She also vowed to defend God, country and family. In October, Benjamin Netanyahu made a comeback, winning Israel's fifth election in four years. Mr Netanyahu won a clear majority of seats with support from religious and ultra-nationalist parties. In November, Chinese President Xi Jinping secured a historic third term as president. The country's Communist Party elite rubber-stamped the appointment after discarding a custom which sees leaders leave after 10 years. Many believe Xi will try and stay in power for life. Also in November, the US midterm elections were held. Republicans were hoping for a red wave, which didn't quite materialise. They did, however, manage to take back the House, winning 217 seats. Also in November, former President Donald Trump announced he would run for the 2024 presidential candidacy. We always have known that this was not the end. It was only the beginning of our fight to rescue the American dream. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Mr Trump is the first Republican to announce his 2024 intentions. Energy solutions were a universal topic throughout 2022 with the risk of shortages felt around the globe, as Olivia Paul explains. In May, ministers from the world's richest democracies committed for the first time to phase out coal-generated power. The G7 agreed to predominantly decarbonise their electricity sectors by 2035. At the COP27 climate summit in November, delegates from nearly 200 countries committed to setting up what they call a loss and damage repatriation fund for poor countries. The deal aims to compensate developing nations for damage that they believe has been caused by changes in climate. A sense of normalcy returned this year as COVID restrictions eased and crowds returned to watch their favourite sporting event. The summer of tennis kicked off a big year of sport. Here's Gareth Stafford. In a controversial move, Novak Djokovic was deported just before the commencement of the Australian Open for not satisfying the vaccine mandate for border entry. The Aussies had great results at the tournament. The special case, Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis claimed their first Grand Slam titles in the men's doubles. Then Ash Barty won the nation's heart again, breaking a 44-year drought to become the first Australian woman to win the tournament since 1978. Barty accepting her trophy from her mentor, Yvonne Goolagong. I'm an incredibly fortunate and lucky girl to have so much love in, in my corner. And, um, you know, that, that comes... We started right together, right from the start uh, in this... This second part of our career, we did it all together. Uh, no one's changed from our team. It's been incredible. I love you guys to death. You are the absolute best in the business. No one knew it would be the last Grand Slam we'd ever see Barty play, with her retirement announcement coming just two months later. Meantime, Spaniard Rafael Nadal played the match of his life in the men's final. Two sets down and almost two games away from losing the third set, he made a courageous comeback to claim victory. He created history, becoming the first male tennis player to win 21 Grand Slams and followed up his Australian Open win with victory at Roland Garros in June, clinching a 23rd Grand Slam. 
The following month, Nick Kyrgios became the first Australian man since 2003 to reach the Wimbledon final, but Novak Djokovic was too strong of an opponent, claiming victory in four sets. In February, Beijing hosted the Winter Olympics, where Australia's Jakara Anthony won gold in the women's freestyle skiing moguls. Snowboarder Scotty James narrowly missed out on gold in the men's halfpipe, but did claim silver, as did Jacqueline Narricott in the women's skeleton. Tess Cody topped off our medal hall with a bronze in the women's snowboard slope style. In June, the Socceroos qualified for the World Cup for the fifth consecutive time after defeating Peru in a penalty shootout. Andrew Redmayne prevented a crucial fifth kick from going into the net. Here's how it was called on Channel 10. And Redmayne makes the save. It's a save that means the world to Australia. It's a save that means the World Cup for Australia. Joy unbridled for Graham. The sporting arena also became the battleground for a number of social issues which played out during the course of the year. FINA, the world's governing body for swimming, updated their policy to only allow transgender athletes who transitioned before the age of 12 to participate in women's events. In July, seven Manly Seagulls players stood strong in their convictions, choosing not to wear a rainbow LGBT jersey during the club's pride round. The players cited religious and cultural reasons behind their decision and they withstood harsh criticism from some sections of the media. One of the seven, Josh Alloway, said no one should be forced to compromise their beliefs in the workplace. We quietly took our stance. We didn't say anything hateful or, or hurtful. Instead, we were the ones that um, were called everything under the sun. Alloway doubled down, saying if the concept is repeated next year, he won't compromise on his stance. Still with the NRL and Queensland seized the State of Origin trophy in 2022, defeating the Blues by 10 points at Suncorp Stadium. It was Billy Slater's first stint as Queensland coach. In October, the Penrith Panthers clinched the NRL Championship for the second year in a row after a dominant 28-12 win over Western Sydney rivals Parramatta. The Kangaroos were world champions for the 12th time, taking down Samoa 30-10 in the Rugby League World Cup final at Old Trafford. Meantime, in the AFL, Geelong were crowned premiers for the first time since 2011, with a convincing win over Sydney in front of more than 100,000 fans at the MCG. At the Commonwealth Games in August, Australia topped the medal tally with 67 gold, 57 silver and 54 bronze. As anticipated, we cleaned up in the pool with 25 of our gold medals coming from the swimming team, including six from Emma McKeon. We topped the tally in track and field and scored gold medals in the women's T20 cricket, the men's beach volleyball, women's road cycling and men's hockey, just to name a few. At the closing ceremony, the Games were then handed over to Australia with the 2026 Games to be held in Victoria. The cricketing world experienced great loss in 2022 with the deaths of some high-profile ex-players. Rod Marsh passed away in March following a heart attack at the age of 74. In an unrelated incident, Shane Warne died later that day also from a heart attack. 52-year-old Warne will be remembered as one of the country's greatest sporting stars who revolutionised the game and inspired a generation of cricketers. The cricket world was in mourning again two months later when Andrew Simons died in a car crash at the age of 46. Still with cricket and England beat Pakistan by five wickets in the T20 World Cup final to become the first men's team to hold both the 50-over and 20-over titles at the same time. As mentioned, so many events unfolded this year and many remain unresolved. Much has been left unsaid. As the conflicts rage and the leaders compete for popularity and position in an ever-changing landscape, let's turn our attention to the one who does not change, the one who offers certainty in the face of change and peace in the face of turmoil. As the psalmist said, the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. 
From myself and the team at Vision National News, we wish you all the best for the coming year and look forward to serving you further in 2023.